Because today is the last day of Joshua. I'm sad. I am sad. I hope you have liked this summer series as much as I have. I feel like I've really grown a lot as I've read some things in God's word. I've actually made some changes in my own life that I felt like have helped me live in victory in some areas of my own life and pressing into Jesus and just reading each story and each moment where God was right in the middle of their lives reminds me that he's right in the middle of my life and he's in the middle of your life. And so I hope that you uh, have been seeing some victory in your life because our theme has been that God wants us to live in victory, that the Lord gives us victory. And hopefully you've learned some great lessons about your relationship with God and how much he means to you and what he wants to do for you. And I hope that our time together, you've even developed maybe a good spiritual habit that maybe you didn't have before, or maybe you stopped a bad habit, and now you're seeing victory in your life through Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at Joshua chapter 10. But before we jump into chapter 10, uh, some of you may not have been here last week when we studied chapter 9. And chapter 10 is actually a continuation of the story in chapter 9. So let me just give us a quick paraphrase of chapter 9. You'll remember in chapter 9 that the Israelites were getting ready to uh, attack the section of Israel in Gibeon. But though the Gibeonites came to the Israelites and said, would you make a treaty with us? And the Israelites said, oh, I don't know if we should do that. You might live near us. You might be our neighbors that God wants us to conquer. And the Gibeonites had this whole deceptive trick. Uh, and the Israelites fell for it. They fell for the trick. They were deceived. And they didn't inquire of the Lord. They didn't talk to the Lord about what was happening in their life. And as a result, they got deceived. And so they made a treaty with the Gibeonites. And so now they're allies. So if the Gibeonites get in trouble, the Israelites need to help them. And if the Israelites are in trouble, the Gibeonites need to help them. This is the agreement that they've made with them, which leads us to chapter 10. Because in chapter 10, the Gibeonites are going to get in trouble and the Israelites are going to need to come rescue them. But in particular, there are some things that happen in Joshua chapter 10 that we will never read about any other time anywhere else in Scripture. And there are some things that happen in chapter 10 that happened once and have never happened again in the history of the world that are marvelous and miraculous and amazing things that God has done. So look at Joshua chapter 10. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 15. Now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city. Like one of the royal cities, it was larger than I, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hehem, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Hormath, Japhia, king of Lashish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Can we just stop there and say thank you, Lord, for the name that you have? 
Mark is much easier. And I wouldn't want the name Ho-Hum. <laughs> Are you bored? Yes. My name is Ho-Hum. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Harmuth, Lachish, and Eglon joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us. Because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with the entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, so Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Haran and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makedah. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Haran to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Abajlan. So the Lord stood still, the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. Wow, what an amazing story. There's some things in this moment that have never happened in all of human history. Now, there's a major theme that we can see in chapter 10, and it's quite simple. It's that God is fighting for his people, isn't he? God is in the middle of their circumstance. He's in the middle of their situation, and God shows up. I hope you recognize and realize that in your life, God wants to show up in the middle of your life too. He wants to show up in the middle of your circumstances and situations, in the middle of your hard times, in the middle of those moments where you are attacked by the enemy of your soul. God wants to show up and fight for you. See, he's always fighting for us. Now, interestingly, the battle that God is fighting for us today is different than what we see in Joshua. It's not nation against nation, but God is fighting a spiritual battle for your soul, for your growth. He's fighting a battle for you to live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and to grow in the fullness of Christ. But God, make no mistake, is fighting for you. 
Verse 6 is an interesting verse. I'd like to start there. And I'd like to look at it with you because I think verse 6 is one of those verses that I had to look at again a couple times because it was so different than my own thinking. And I, I hate to admit to you this morning what I'm about to say, but when I read this story and I got to verse 3 and it says, these kings are coming to attack Gibeon, in my heart and in my mind, I was like, oh, this is awesome. Because in chapter 9, the Gibeonites tricked the Israelites. They got deceived. So I'm thinking, oh, this is perfect. Joshua can just sit back in his lawn chair, find a nice hillside, and just watch these five guys wipe out the Gibeonites. And then he can say, see, had it coming to you. <laughs> Have you ever thought that? Have you ever had a coworker that you didn't really like and one day they tripped over a curb and broke their ankle and you're like, ha ha, had it coming to you. I'm thinking in this story that that's what Joshua should do. Don't go rescue them. What? What kind of person rescues him? This is a perfect opportunity for you to just let them get wiped out because that's what should have happened to begin with. That wouldn't be a good representation of his God, would it? Because aren't you glad that when we do something dumb, God doesn't attack us? Aren't you glad that when you're unkind, God is kind? Aren't you glad that when, when, when we're unfaithful, God is faithful? Aren't you glad that when God is rude, or we're rude, I should say, God's never rude. <laughs> Aren't you glad when we're rude, God is loving, right? Aren't you glad that when we give up on God, he never gives up on us? That's the God we serve. And here's what God tells Joshua to do. Don't give up on the Gibeonites. You gave him your word, just like I gave you my word. Now you do the same. Go save them. Go help them. Go rescue them. Isn't that just like our God? That when we need something, when we go to him and we pray, he shows up and he saves and he helps and he rescues. So I'm, I'm glad that God doesn't give up on us. And I'm really glad that God doesn't give us what's coming to us. See, throughout our lives, what we discover is God is saving and helping, and God is fighting for us. See, this story reminds us, because the same God that you and I serve is the same God in chapter 10. And if God was saving his people then, and you are part of his family today, then he will save you. He will fight for you. Now, I noticed through this story, that there were a couple things in particular that reminded me that God is fighting for me and that he's fighting for you. Let me point them out to you. The first one is in verse 8. And that is that God assured them with his word that he will fight for them. God does this regularly. He assures us with his word, with, with the words of his mouth and the words of his Bible that he will fight for us. 
And in verse 8, the Lord said this to Joshua. Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Now, I love that phrase. We see it often in Scripture. Do not be afraid. You know, it was at the very beginning of Joshua. Do not be afraid, but be strong and courageous because I am with you. That's a major theme of the Old and New Testament. That when God shows up, we don't have to be afraid anymore. Why? Because we're victorious. We already have a victorious outcome. And when God shows up, there's nothing for us to be afraid of. And so God says to Joshua, don't be afraid of this huge army that you're about to see of these five kings. It's going to be very large and you might have a tendency to fall into your flesh and be afraid when you see that situation in front of you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That you see life in front of you and you get scared? And God says, hey, don't be afraid. One of the reasons that I believe that God tells us not to be afraid is because I think it's easy for us to forget that God is with us. Sometimes it's, it's hard for us to recognize and realize that God is with us because we can't see him physically. But if we have a friend, like a, maybe your best friend, and they go to get you coffee and you talk with them about your problems and your situations, it's like it's easy to see that your friend is with you. They're right in front of you. They're sitting there. You can physically see them. But I think there's a tendency for us to not recognize that God is in the battle with us simply because we cannot see him. And he wants to remind us, I am there with you. I'm right in that battle with you. See that I am here. So he reassured Joshua with his word. Second, God assured them with a prophetic word. There's something very powerful about prophecy. Prophecy assures you that God is with you. That he's in the middle of your circumstance, in the middle of your life, in the middle of the situation that you are in the middle of. He's with you. And that's what God says to Joshua. Hey, don't worry. Because I've already given them into your hand. Not one of them is going to be able to withstand you. The battle has already been won. Has been won. That's the prophetic gift that now Joshua gets to cover himself in and live powerfully in this reminder that God is fighting for him wherever he goes. Now, this is important for us to remember because you and I have the ability to read God's word every day. We have God's word in our hand every moment. And hopefully it's in our heart and in our mind. And as you read God's word, you will find reminder after reminder that God is fighting for you. Let me share a couple of them with you. Exodus 14, 14 says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now that's a tough one. Maybe that's another whole message for another day about how you and I just completely surrender our life to the Lord and let him do the fighting for us. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says, But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. The Lord's protecting you from the enemy 
of your soul. Proverbs 30, verse 5, says, Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. So God will fight for us. He'll strengthen us. He'll protect us. We can take refuge in Him. He's our shield. 1 Peter 1.5 says, Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. See, what is clear in God's Word is that He is fighting for you. Another way that we see God fighting for His people and for us is when the Lord moves in the physical world. The Bible is very clear that God is spirit and that He lives in the spiritual realm. Wherever that is in the heavens, uh, the Bible just most of the time calls it the heavenly realm or the spiritual realm. We can't actually see it with... um, with a telescope or look into the stars and see where God is sitting on his throne. But this is the realm that he is in, the spiritual realm, that, by the way, is far more superior and powerful than the physical realm. But we happen to live in the physical realm. So we happen to think that it's more special than the spiritual realm. But in all actuality, it's not. And by the way, you came from the spiritual realm to the physical realm. And you will leave the physical realm and return to the spiritual realm when you pass away. This is reality. But when God sends an angel into the physical realm to do something, or he himself moves in the physical realm on our behalf, or for a friend or someone else, in that moment it becomes very clear to us that God is fighting for us, that God loves us, that God is on our side, and that our Papa Daddy is taking care of his kids. Let me show you three physical manifestations in this chapter that are absolutely extraordinary and that reveal, that prove in a very large way that God was fighting for them and that God will fight for you. The first one is in verse 10. In verse 10, look at it with me. Actually, let's start at verse 9. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Now here's the first one. The first physical manifestation is God comes down and confuses the Amorite army. Now, let me point out to you why this is so vitally important. On a battlefield, and it doesn't matter whether it's an old battlefield or a modern battlefield, there are some things that must happen on the battlefield for the battle to be successful. One of those is clear communication. Another one is excellent leadership. And the third one is that there must be organization. If there's no communication and there's no leadership and there's no organization, that army is in trouble. And here's what happens. God comes down and confuses the Amorite army. 
So here's the men getting ready to go into battle, hundreds of thousands of them, and now they're like, what do I do with this sword? What's this shield for? Where am I supposed to stand? What are we doing here? Why is the horses running off with the chariots that direction? Why are the riders getting bucked off? Where's my commander? He's playing tiddlywinks. What is going on here? Here's an army in complete confusion. This would be like a kindergarten classroom without its teacher. Utter chaos everywhere. Crayons being thrown, paint everywhere, kids sniffing glue in the corner. This is craziness. This, this is just utter chaos. This is what God does. He comes into the middle of this and confuses the army. Now here, are you ready for it to get even better? This is actually a fulfillment of prophecy. This is a direct fulfillment of prophecy from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 23. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 23, God was telling the people about what he would do when they entered the land. And God said this, the Lord your God will deliver them, your enemies. He will deliver them over to you, throwing them into great confusion until they are destroyed. It's a direct answer to God's prophecy as God throws them into confusion. But that's only step one. We've got to go to step two. Step two is another amazing, miraculous, marvelous, physical manifestation of God. Look at verse 11. It says, As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Haran to Azekah. So here's the, the Amorite army. Let's set the scene. They're all running away. They're fleeing. And the Israelite army is running after them. Their sword's out, even though you shouldn't run with your sword. It's like running with a pair of scissors. Like, who taught this army? Come on. So they're running after them. Ah, right? And listen to what it says. The Lord got in a snowball fight with the Amorite army. Am I reading this correctly? The Lord hurled large hailstones down on them. And more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Seriously, step two is God is throwing fastballs of ice from heaven to earth and beaming Amorite men in the head. This is happening. This is awesome. I have no idea if a radar gun could... Figure out the speed of God's fastball, but I can't imagine that it's slow. Let's put it that way. I've been hit by fastballs at about 90 to 95 miles an hour, and I can only tell you this. It hurts. But I'm not dead. I wasn't dead. So how fast does a snowball have to go to kill a man with a helmet on? This is amazing what God is doing. Another physical manifestation. Now, just for a moment, try to put yourself in the shoes of the Israelite army. As you're running towards the Amorites, thinking, I'm going to get that guy. 
all of a sudden, a, hail, a large hailstone, so maybe the size of a basketball, right? Beams this guy in the head and just takes his head off. Phew! <laughs> like, snap! And then about a thousand of them are falling and limbs are coming off, arms are flying off, legs are coming off. Come on, people. You got to get into the Bible a little bit. <laughs> Heads are flying. I mean, all kinds of things are happening. These are large hailstones killing men right in front of you. Let me ask you a question. At any point, do you think these men are thinking, I think I'm an atheist. <laughs> yeah, God's not real. It's all fake. It's, it's made up, man-made stuff. Who, who could make this stuff up? Not on your life. God is fighting for them. In the past month, they've seen the Jordan River parted and they've walked on dry land. This enormous city with an enormous wall cave in on itself. And now God is throwing hailstones and taking Amorites out. Not a single one of them for the rest of their life ever said, I wonder if God is with me. Having such a bad day today. I wonder if God is even there. No way. For the rest of their life, they knew God is fighting for me. And we haven't even got to the third miracle. Because the third miracle is so profound, it blows your mind. And it blows science away. It blows everything away. Because Joshua is sitting there over this, watching this battlefield, and he starts to think to himself, you know what? This is our moment. Because if we can defeat all five of these kings on this battlefield right now, we won't have to go battle them again. If somehow we could just continue the battle and get all of them right now, then we would be done with the entire southern half of the kingdom. We'd be totally done. We'd only have to conquer the north in a couple more months. But wouldn't it be great if we could just take advantage of this opportunity right now? How could we do that? Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Joshua in that moment, I would have thought, okay, hail's good. Let's do lightning. Let's strike them with lightning. Whatever it might be, my thought never would have been, Lord, why don't you stop the sun? Anybody else thought of in your thought? I don't think so. Why don't you stop the moon? Like who would think of such an outrageous, ridiculous idea from God? But he did. And God said, okay. So God had the sun stand still for almost an entire full day. Now, here's something very important for us to understand in this moment. Is science the study of what God is doing? Or is science the study of what we think is happening? Science is the study of what God is doing, of what God has created, 
about how God's physical and spiritual laws work in the universe. That's what science is studying. Well, I should say it's what good science is studying. There's a lot of crackpot science out there that doesn't study anything. They make their stuff up before they even come to their, before they've even come to a, they come to a conclusion before they've even done a scientific study. But here's the point. God goes outside of his own physical scientific laws and stops the earth from rotating and the sun from going down and the moon from showing light at night for almost an entire day. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds cool. In that moment as well, all the men of the army would have realized God is fighting for me. He's fighting for us. He's in the middle of our challenge. He's in the middle of our trouble. He's in the middle of our circumstance. Now, back then, they didn't have Rolexes. They just had sundials. So you'd wear a sundial on your wrist to tell you what time it was. And I can imagine running into battle. You're running. Hailstones are coming. You're running after the enemy and you look at your watch and you're like, man, it's been a long day. We marched all night. I'm super tired and it's three o'clock. I need some food. You're running. You fight some battles. You're fighting some battles. You're fighting some battles. You're just, oh man, it seems like forever. And you look at your watch. Three o'clock. How can it, how can it still be three o'clock? Oh man, I got it. There's tons of them. I got to fight some more. You go fight some more, fight some more. Fight. Seems like forever. And you're like, ah. Oh. I'm so out of shape. I'm so dead. Ah, three o'clock. How can it still be three o'clock? Ah, every time you look at your watch for the next 23 hours, it's three o'clock. And you get to defeat all your enemies. See, in this moment, you realize when the sun stood still that God is fighting for you. And when God breaks through the physical realm and does something miraculous, it helps you know that God is for you. Well, can I tell you, God still does that today. Sometimes we just don't hear about it, but we need to share those stories. Did you know that's why we have our Thanksgiving service every single year where we share what God has done? And because we want, we want each other to hear what God has done in our lives so that we, our faith grows. Let me give you an example of one. When Kate and I were in high school, we had a youth pastor named Carl. And let me tell you about how Carl came to know Jesus. Because it is an absolutely miraculous event where God moved into the physical realm and saved him. Carl was in his late 20s and had been having a really really, really bad year. His year had been so bad that Carl contemplated taking his own life. He had figured out how he was going to do that and in what manner he would do it. He decided that he would jump off Hoover Dam and plummet 700 feet to his death. So one night, about one in the morning, he went down to Hoover Dam hoping that nobody would be there to try to stop him. He got out of his car, 
walked to the edge of the dam and just kind of stood there for a little bit, focusing on the ground and getting ready to muster up the strength to just leap over. Right about before he was going to leap over, a man next to him, let's call him Rick, said, Hey, Carl. And Carl went, I don't know you. And Rick said, well, that's okay. I know you. And Rick began to tell Carl about his past life. All about his life. And all about what he'd been through that past year. All about his tough year. And then Rick began to tell Carl about Jesus. And the hope that he could have in Jesus Christ. And how if he just gave his life to Jesus Christ, he would not have these feelings and the life that he had in the past. But he could move forward in strength and in power in the fullness of the Spirit in Christ. And so right in that moment, Carl got down, received Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, and Rick led him to Jesus. Carl went back to his car, started it up, drove home, radically changed his life and became a pastor and is a chaplain today. About four days after that event, Carl said, I've got to go back to the dam and thank that guy. I just have to go back. So Carl went back, went to the employee office and said, hi, I'd like to speak to Rick. It was on his name badge. And the person at the desk said, uh, we don't have a Rick here. He said, no, it's, it's the night employee. The employee that was here four days ago. You could look on, just look on the work schedule and you could see that Rick was scheduled about four nights ago. Guy went back to the schedule. Sir, showed him the schedule. There's no Rick. We don't employ a Rick. No Rick exists in our paper. We don't have a Rick. From this day, Carl believes that God sent an angel to save him from death. His name is Rick. I didn't know angels were named Rick, but... <laughs> See, when God steps in to the physical realm and changes everything, it lets you know that God is for you. And God wants to do the same for you. He did the same for Joshua when the sun stood still. But the most profound moment that you and I know of for sure, the most profound moment that reveals to us that God is fighting for us is also the moment that the sun stood still. It's the moment the Son of God stood still on a cross. Because God left heaven, came to earth, and the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, stood still on a cross for you. And while he was on that cross, he fought the most ferocious battle of all time. He fought the battle for the soul of every person on the planet. He fought for our eternal life. He fought for forgiveness of sin. He fought for physical healing. He fought to justify and sanctify you and I before the Father. 
He fought for every racial barrier. He fought for healthy families. He fought for our holiness and our righteousness and our purity. He fought for the restoration of all of creation. He fought for everything that is right and good and holy. And he did that by standing still on a cross. Because at any point, Jesus could have called on 10,000 angels and they would have rescued him from the cross and defeated all of his enemies and they could have killed everybody on the planet. But Jesus stood still on that cross to pay for your freedom and for mine. See, the cross is the answer to all our defeat, to all of our battles, to all of our bad days, to all of the horrible things that happen to us. The cross is the answer. When you and I submit ourselves to Jesus Christ and the situations of our life, our past, our present, our future, when we submit it to the cross, we find victory. When we live in the power of the cross, we live in victory because the cross gives us eternal victory through salvation. The cross also gives us personal victory over our sin, temptation, everything that is coming against us throughout the day. When we evoke the power of Jesus' name over our challenges and our spiritual battle, we have victory. And the cross... And the resurrection is what gives us victory at the moment of our death because we inherit life through Jesus Christ. Amen. The cross is our victory. Thank you, Jesus, that you stood still on a cross. Now, can I encourage you this morning to give God your fight? What are you fighting right now? What's your battle? In what way is the enemy of your soul attacking you? What are the schemes right now that he is using to get you to be unfaithful to Jesus or not believe in Christ or to simply live your life your way instead of Jesus' way? What's the fight you're in right now? Whatever your battle is, can I encourage you, let God fight it. He's capable of winning it. If he'll confuse the enemy in Joshua's day, let me remind you, he can confuse the enemy today. Whatever the enemy is attacking you with, pray over it in the name of Jesus and you'll find that the enemy is confused and must leave. And maybe, it'd be really cool if you could see a large hailstone. Leave your fight at the cross. Leave your fight at the cross. Let the power of Jesus cross do your fighting. And let Jesus have the victory for you. Would you stand with me? On the bracelets that we have been wearing, you'll notice two little icons that 
come full circle in our series this morning. There's a sun to remind us that the sun stood still and let Joshua defeat his enemies. And there's a cross to remind us today that Jesus stood still on the cross. And because of that, we can live in victory. Would you pray with me?